Welcome to the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast here at the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. But this week, we went on down to Carmel to go to the Quail Lodge Motorcycle Gathering. And this podcast is all the interviews we got while we were there. And it was me, this is Liza, and Mike and Jim and Mary. We rode on down there with Arwen Rich and Bill Shearer, who was on our Bonneville podcast. Had a great ride down there and a great time. Ran into so many people who are regular guests or contributors on our podcast. The weather was so perfect. There was more bikes than ever. I think I heard there was a hundred more bikes entered this year than last year. It's crazy. I never even got to see them all. And we had it was so much fun. We met so many people, saw old faces. Uh, we ran into some listeners and people that come to the garage. It was just extraordinary. If you can make it to the Quail Lodge Motorcycle Gathering next year, I highly recommend it. But we also had some great opportunities for some interviews. Um, And of course, Keanu was there. You can go to our YouTube page if you'd like to see Mike interviewing Keanu Reeves. And that's uh, our YouTube page is Recycle Santa Cruz. I got to talk to Craig Vetter. Um, Many people know that he was in an accident last year where he was hit by a deer and knocked over. And, you know, he's... Craig Vetter comes from a generation where he's not wearing the newest, best helmet. Um, And so he hit his head and he had a head injury. It's been a long, hard recovery for him, but he's doing great. And he was there to receive the AMA Dud Perkins Lifetime Achievement Award. Couldn't be prouder of his acknowledgement uh, from the AMA I sat and talked with him for a while. Unfortunately, the recording uh, didn't come through. However, he's he's coming back. The Craig that we know is there, and his brilliance is still there. And he's got an amazing support of family and friends. He, He couldn't be more fortunate. So it was great to see him receive that award. So... Let's uh, get right to the first interview. We spoke to Kevin Allen of Kawasaki. They had a bunch of amazing bikes there. It was kind of like the history of uh, 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 super bikes, Um, just amazing bikes, including uh, Wayne Rainey's uh, GPZ was there. uh, Thanks to the AMA, they brought it out of the museum, had it on display. So uh, let's check that out. 
So, hey, we're here with Kevin Allen with Kawasaki celebrating their 50th anniversary. That's right. I'm lucky enough to be representing Kawasaki here at the Quail. Uh, it's our 50th anniversary. We started uh, in the United States March 1st, 1966 in Chicago, Illinois in a, a meatpacking district. There's a, actually an old meat warehouse sausage factory, actually. And uh, we cleaned it out. A, a gentleman named Hamawaki was the original Japanese man who came over to represent the brand, which was, actually at the time was called Kawasaki Aircraft Co. LTD, which was, of course, our aircraft division was the one that sort of invented the motorcycles from Kawasaki, not the motorcycle itself. I was checking out the 66B8 that you have beautifully displayed That's right. over here. So we have the two, let's say, best-selling motorcycles of the 66 year, which was the 1966 A1 Samurai, it's a 250cc motorcycle, and then the B8 uh, as well. So one was a little bit more performance-oriented and one's a little bit more tame and touring-oriented. Uh, and you can see that by the difference in the handlebars and the seat and the luggage rack, etc. So very um, rare pieces. Uh, they're coming from Kawasaki's Heritage Hall, which is in Irvine, California. It's our headquarters. Um, and when we also have the W2TT, which is our first TT bike, 1969, uh, with a kickstart there. You can see it's a, it's a beautiful blue and white tank uh, machine with a very comfortable seat. It's a little bit larger machine, uh, a little bit heavier, but um, something that was uh, popular at the time, you know, the TT, the scramblers uh, of the day. And before they switched over to the right side brake. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we also are celebrating the Z family this year. Kawasaki's uh, Z lineup has been around uh, since the 70s. In fact, we have the original 1973 Kawasaki Z1. It's a 900cc four-cylinder. Four um, it was a very powerful machine and kind of defined what a sport motorcycle should be. Well, is uh, that when, when sports bikes are starting to get popular oh, yeah, and then everybody was, the, was trying to one-up each other? That was the turnkey. Yeah. And Kawasaki was there first. And uh, then... Then, of course, we had 1979, so th uh, six years later, we had a turbocharged kit that went on to the Z1, uh, and it was a uh, Molly Graphics uh, actually did the paint job on that as an aftermarket kit uh, with the fairing and everything like that. So uh, we have that bike here that's uh, on loan from the Bruce Gilovich collection. He's a, a huge collector of Kawasaki's um, out of L.A. Uh, and then, of course, we have our newest, latest, and greatest Z125 yes. Pro, which is a 125cc single cylinder um, let's say compound fracture compound. waiting to happen it's, <laughs> this is the grom killer we, were, we talked about this on our podcast I when like they that announced we it, it. That. we can call it that but we can also call it an addition to the 125 family because yeah. honestly John and I from Honda we just spoke and we don't feel as though we're going to take away one single sale from the grom no. we feel as though it's going to add to the family uh, of 125cc motorcycles you know the more motorcycles in one class the more everybody wins because it grows the class it grows the interest the aftermarket uh, wins in the end, too. So uh, people have more customization options for their bikes, and um, there's more racing uh, that takes place, and we hope that this one can uh, follow the same suit that the Grom has in terms of also racing So success. is this as much of a hooligan bike as the Grom? It certainly is, and nice. probably more because the Z family is known for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. For the hooligan-ness. Um, and lastly, to point out, we have also the 1964 Pet. It was Kawasaki's uh, scooter at the time. It was a 50cc scooter in uh, uh, it was actually the first...
first physical unit labeled Kawasaki that was imported into the United States. And uh, an interesting tidbit to that, uh, we never sold that bike because, uh, well, no one wanted a scooter at the time. They really wanted motorcycles. And, uh, and uh, so we took it around. We showcased Kawasaki as a brand, uh, and we still have that unit today. So uh, the first unit, we have the actual certificate that shows that uh, wow. as well. But uh, something that's really important is that Kawasaki uh, actually... Uh, is a big brand. I mean, it, worldwide we make uh, ships, container ships. We make the front fuselage for the 787 Dreamliner. We make bridges, uh, big diesel engines as well. And, uh, you know, this history uh, of 50 years means a lot to the brand uh, because we've been a big part of the motorcycle industry over this uh, period of time. So um, we're just showcasing that heritage and uh, we're just glad to be here at the Quail. Yeah, and where Honda has a notoriety of having, uh, being just a well-built, long-running machine, to me, Kawasaki sums up performance. Performance and innovation, I think, and we're, we've always been one of the first. You know, last year we showcased the supercharged Ninja H2 and H2R, uh, you know, the first supercharged super sport machines ever produced. And Kawasaki's always been there. The original H2 uh, with the three-cylinder, it was the fastest machine of its time. We've set so many world records. Um, and we're showcasing all of that, um, you know, let's say over the 50 years. We have some online um, stories that are being posted um, weekly that kind of showcase all of those interesting little stories and people. And actually the thing about Kawasaki 2 is the people. The people are very different. The people are unique. Um, they're, they're enthusiasts. Uh, they're, they're very active with the motorcycling community. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of it as well myself. I got a Versus. Great bike. I rode up on a Versus from uh, L.A. to come here. We had a ride with the Why We Ride. It's the movie mm -hmm. documentary mm -hmm. um, with the AMA. So Kawasaki joined with that. And it's a, for a good cause because it's for uh, Ride for the Kids and uh, the Pediatric Brain Tumor Foundation. So very happy to be part of that. Very happy to be part of the quail. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, nice meeting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to have to go sit on the Grom Killer. <laughs> the Grom Killer. <laughs> Next up, we've got Ken Durham of Yamaha. They had the XSR 900 on display there. If you haven't seen this bike, wow. Um, you know, Yamaha did so great with the FZ09, the FZ07, the FJ09, and now this XSR 900 is even more amazing and at a great price point. I really love what they're doing. So let's hear that now. Let's start with, hey, what's your name? My name's Kender, district manager with Yamaha Motor Corporation. And what fine-looking bike are we looking at? This is the 2016 XSR 900. It's in the 60th anniversary form. It comes in two colors. It comes one that's a natural tank that we hand polish and then we put clear over. So it's just clear aluminum. It's really cool. That is cool. I love the retro. This, I yeah. love this shit. Well, we do that every 10 years. So this uh, this is our 60th anniversary. 60th anniversary. And what is the platform for this bike? Where did, where? It's it's basically the um, FZ09. Okay. So it's the FZ09. Um, it's got a different different tail section on it than that. A little bit different in the suspension. But the big thing is, is this has um, ABS and traction control standard. Oh, okay. 
So it's it, it this is probably in our in our lineup it's the least expensive motorcycle to come with D mode, traction control and ABS, all of that in that package. Yes. And what's the list on this bike? Um, this one is nine four ninety. Wow. And that's and, Come on. and it's ninety one and change for the, the one with the polished tank. How many horsepower? I don't we don't claim horsepower, so it's very exciting to ride. I'm sure. <laughs> I have to say what's been really exciting with the 09 and the 07 bikes that are coming out is in motorcycling in general we went through a phase where like this bigger 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 and then we lost our market years ago and now it's it's affordable what's affordable now you guys are doing some amazing performance and affordability uh, i'm really excited for what what you guys have been doing. Well, the exciting thing is, is, is even when we went through the downturn in the economy, the motorcycle market stayed, stayed the same size. Mm-hmm. So, but there was a lot of used with that. So, we're trying to attract that buyer that would normally be buying a used bike with a new motorcycle. And you know, especially with the FZ09, um, the amount of performance that you can get with that motorcycle for the price. You'd have a hard time finding that in the used market, and then you get a brand new motorcycle with a, with a warranty. So, uh, are there any uh, options or accessories available for this model? Yeah, Yamaha has a full line of accessories that are on our website, but we have windscreens and you know, you name it to customize it and make it your, make it your own. And are they available now? Or I know yeah, I've been seeing them everywhere. They've been in the in the dealerships for about three weeks now. Okay. Uh, as soon as I started on like social media, when I saw the pictures coming out and the descriptions, I'm like, when can we test ride this thing? Are you guys gonna be able to go to Seca? Uh, we will. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Good. I, I rode the F, FZ, I rode the, the 07, then I rode the FZ09, then I rode the FJ09. Yes. So every year it's been a different one. But I'll tell you the problem for me has been foot peg placement. Hasn't been right for me on any of the bikes. I love the engine and the power. But, you know, you got to find a bike that just fits your body. I'm, I sat on this. Fit. Yeah, this is different. So it's yeah. got lower foot pegs than even the FJ09. Yes. You know, and uh, I'm not sure what you know what we're going to be bringing to demo at uh, Laguna Seca, but if I had to bet, I, you know, it'd be. It's getting quite a buzz. I, re- oh, yeah. I really, really yeah, like this. It looks good. I mean, it just looks good. It feels good. I mean, nice. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah, enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah. So we ran into our friend Mark. He was one of the judges there, and he had some cool stories to share. Uh, we kind of, he just started talking, so the recording starts a little late, but we'll just jump in right here. Quite a few of these Norvins, and the guy that did these the best was a guy, a Swiss guy named Fritz Egli. He bought the engines from Vincent when they went out of business, and he made the he made a, a variation of the of the, the Norton chassis, right. fit them in there. I think he made like a hundred between you know 1960 and 1970. So that's a very cool bike, very functional. It actually rides really well. When you talk to somebody who has one of these, they say it just rides fantastic. It makes a great sound, very exclusive. So. Great bike. So let me ask this you. This is not in my here. category. So. Are any of these your up the butt bike? Well, this is this is right in there. <laughs> in your butt. This is right. Depends in who's delivering. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a couple of drunk Samoans, man, not so much. But you know, I'm 
skinny metrosexual. Maybe I could, you know, think of the bike. But um, the Norvin, the rideability factor yeah. and the exclusivity is what makes it happen. And then you look at this one and you look at the Vincati over there and you say, oh, it's variations on the theme. And when you actually go ride with one, when you hear the motor and the way the pulses of the engine pull you along, it's like riding a locomotive. It's you just know, we're, really we're fantastic. When you say that, that like, oh, motor, yeah. I, yeah, I'm cool with that. One of the funnier things, you should interview Sue Fish. Who's Sue Fish? See, eh, come on, I have to break everybody in on this yeah. stuff. Sue Fish is my age. I think she's maybe six months younger. In uh, 1975, 76. She won the women's first women's national motocross championship in the LA area, and um, and I had a good Sue Fish story because she just moved up from a Hodaka 100 to a Yamaha 125, and there I was at Indian Dunes, and I said, "Hey, that's Sue Fish, the women's national champion," and she went right past me and gave me a face full of dirt. It was love at first sight. I said, that's my kind of girl right there. So after she blasted me with dirt and rocks, she eased up in the turn to look back to see if I'd pulled off the track. But I was man, I'm game. I'm I'm man. Up and so I drove the front wheel right in there and aimed for her foot to try and let her know I meant it. And she, she, she'd been down that road before, it wasn't her first road. So when she saw I meant business, she hit the gas and I slid right in under her, tried to use her traction, but she got out of the way. And then we were battling elbow to elbow around this little track, you know, just really having it was kind of like that motorcycle tango thing going on, you know, it was pretty awesome. In fact, right now, I'm getting kind of a chub stick. So anyway, so we go around the track, but then we get around to the straightaway, and she just leaves me in the dust because you know the face full of dirt. So then a little while later, I see her sitting over there on her bike, and I pull up, hey, my best 17-year-old smooth, you know. <laughs> and um, I say, hey, here's Sue Fish, the women's national champion. I read about your driving magazine. She says, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're kind of crazy because I had this little Suzuki 90. You had that thing pinned wide open the whole way around. I said, yeah, I just keep it pinned and I just change speed by shifting gears. I said, you know, if you hadn't had a 125, I'd have taken it. She goes, yeah, right. So anyway, that was my Sufi story. And then later on, uh, she came out. She's a lesbian. Nice, nice girl. Wonderful person. She went on to do movie stunt work and mountain bike racing and everything and kind of led the way for, you know, for women to come out. But at the time, right, 1975, she wasn't really making a big deal about it and everything. She wasn't quite sure where she's going. So that was my uh, my lesbian crush. So, <laughs> nice. Sue Fish and a strap-on. Yeah, I think she's, I think she's mine now, too. <laughs> there it she's is. Awesome. Of the she still looks terrific, too. Sue Fish and a Vincati. She was recently uh, inducted in the AMA Hall of Fame. Oh, great. Yeah, she looks fantastic. She's got a website. You can look her up. Sue Fish. Easy. Sue Fish. So, uh, there you go. Thanks, Mark. Hey, nice Appreciate to see that. you. Next up, we have Rob Dingman. He's the CEO of the AMA. And I was really looking forward to this interview. Um, it was one of the ones I scheduled beforehand. This is somebody who's doing great things that a lot of people don't realize what the AMA does. And I know there's a lot of controversy with the AMA. They've lost some subscribers, but it's hard to say, um, you know, if it's just a trend in the economy or if it's what they're doing, but they're doing so many things that a lot of people don't realize what they do. And they really are our advocacy group. So I was excited to talk to them. So here it is. 
So we're here with Rob Dingman, the CEO of the AMA. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Yeah, happy. And we're here at the Quail Lodge motorcycle event, which is, you're, you're enjoying it? Oh, it's amazing. It's, um, <laughs> I have heard about this event for the last several years, and uh, I've always wanted to get out to it, and I had an opportunity to come out this year, and it just has not disappointed. It's really impressive, this event. I encourage people to try to get here. The thing I love about it is how accessible everyone is. Yeah. Everyone here, be it a CEO, a celebrity, or just a guy on a bike, yeah. or you know the scooters, or whoever you are, yeah. everybody is here to talk to each other. Yeah, that's the great thing about motorcyclists. It's you know motorcycling is a great leveler. You know everyone. You know it doesn't matter who you are. You have uh, stories you can talk about and, and have something in common. You know it's just great. We are. We are our own people, That's definitely. Right. So I wanted to quickly just talk about the AMA, and if you can just quickly give me the history of the AMA and what it does. Right. Well, you know, the AMA has been around uh, since 1924. We say we're the original social network because uh, it, it, it originally existed to provide people with opportunities to ride. And that's how the racing heritage got started, because they started organizing events and sanctioning events and, and uh, uh, you know, both racing events and recreation events and so a lot of people don't realize I think that uh, there are a lot of other things we do beyond racing I think most people know the organization as a racing organization uh, and we that is a big part of our heritage and who we are we are the world's largest motorsport sanctioning body just by virtue of the number of events that we sanction uh, but that's only a small fraction really of what we are and who we are um, we really are the, the premier advocate for the motorcycle lifestyle. Um, we, our mission is to promote the motorcycle lifestyle and protect the future of motorcycling. And we maintain uh, an office in Washington, D.C. Uh, to look out for the interests of motorcyclists. And if we weren't there doing it, nobody would be there doing it. And uh, people don't realize, I think, that if you're a motorcyclist, you have an obligation to belong to the AMA to help protect your rights because uh, there are lots of things coming down the pike that uh, we have to be really wary of as motorcyclists, and not the least of which is something people probably don't think about when you see all these self-driving cars. Uh, we have to make sure that they're going to pick up motorcycles uh, in their in their uh, scheme as they figure out how these cars are going to drive. And my concern is that they'll just say, oh, you know, motorcycles are inconsequential. We don't have to worry about them. There are more car drivers, so we're just going to build these things for cars, and motorcycles have to go by the wayside. And I think... Uh, most motorcyclists think that can't happen, but I'm here to tell you it absolutely can happen, and we're on the front lines of making sure that doesn't happen. So that's just one thing that we're worried about that's on the horizon, and we've got hundreds of other issues that we're constantly keeping tabs on and trying to influence and make sure that uh, uh, you know our interests are represented not only in Washington but in the state, state capitals across the country as well. I remember uh, years ago there was... I don't know how much is fact, how much is rumor, but this is the information that we get, that the government is going after motorcyclists and they're going to start requiring smog tests on bikes. And why are they going after us? We're such a small community. It was yeah. such a small output. And somebody said, because they can, because yeah. who's looking out for us? Yeah. The AMA is looking out for us. You are. That's exactly right. And, and uh, you, you know, that's not just years ago. I mean, this, even recently, um, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency was trying to change the rules so that they could basically uh, prevent uh, bikes that were converted 
uh, as uh, uh, for racing motorcycles to prevent them from being converted back uh, right. for, for street bikes. And that's, you know, they, they tried to make it seem like, oh, no, no, this was just an oversight. But I'm here to tell you that they absolutely are intentionally trying to squeeze motorcyclists. And uh, we see it every day. I mean, it's not uh, an exaggeration by any stretch. Um, you know, we just have to continue to be vigilant. And it's really hard for us to be vigilant uh, if we're not a lot bigger than we are. We have about 212,000 members right now. Uh, you know, I think the NRA has about 6 million members, and that's part of the reason they have as much clout as they do. Uh, the bigger we are, the more clout we would have. And I would say we have a pretty significant amount of clout for the size of organization that we are, just because we have a really sophisticated uh, uh, government relations staff, and we have, uh, you know, state-of-the-art uh, electronic uh, communication uh, systems that we use to uh, generate grassroots support for an issue or, or uh, um, you know, our opposition, as the case may be, for an issue. Right. So why are you here at the Quail? Well, as I said, I, uh, it's an event that I had always wanted to get to, and we had an opportunity to come this year um, because uh, we, we worked with the quail organizers, uh, with Gordon McCall, to uh, create a, an AMA Motorcycle Heritage, uh, or uh, AMA Motorcycle Hall of Fame Heritage Award. And the award uh, recognizes a motorcycle that best represents the contributions that AMA Motorcycle Hall of Famers have made to the growth of motorcycling in America. And the voters for this award are the Hall of Famers that are here today. Right. Uh, so they'll choose uh, the award. So I think that's great. It gives us the opportunity to raise the profile of the AMA Motorcycle Hall of Fame, uh, which is, a, a, uh, uh, if anybody hasn't uh, had the opportunity to visit, uh, I would encourage you to come to our uh, Pickerington, Ohio campus. Uh, we have a great uh, Hall of Fame there where the main exhibit hall is occupied by bikes that are uh, were ridden by Hall of Famers. And they're, they're the actual bikes. They're not replicas. Yeah. And, and it really is cool. a nice tribute. That's so cool. <laughs> it, it really is a nice tribute, tribute to uh, uh, the men and women that make up the Hall of Fame. The other reason I'm here is that we also have a bike that's part of our Hall of Fame collection uh, that uh, we've brought out to the show. It's Wayne Rainey's 1983 AMA. A Superbike Championship winning Kawasaki GPZ 750. Yes. And uh, uh, it's such a cool bike uh, because when Wayne won on that bike, it was uh, really uh, outclassed in terms of the technology that existed. Uh, it, it, it was a bike that was inferior at the time compared to his competition. And the fact that he was able to win on that bike makes it that much more significant. And I've talked to Wayne about it, and he just... He just, uh, you know, it means a lot to him for that reason. And uh, he came to uh, the campus here uh, last year, year, a little over a year ago, and uh, he hadn't seen that bike since 1983. And, oh, how uh, cool. Because Kawasaki had donated it to the Hall of Fame. And uh, um, it was just cool to sit and watch him sitting there looking at it and, and kind of, you know, looking at different parts and pieces, and it was just really neat. Did he say, get the bike starter out? We're gonna... Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> Nice. I've had four GPZs myself, so yeah. I have a fondness for them. Yeah, it's great, Mike. Yes. So it's great for us to be able to have that here to be part of the show. Um, you know, it's the 40th anniversary of Superbike Racing, and, and uh, the Quail has incorporated that theme into this year's event. 
and uh, we'll have that as part of our, of our uh, Vintage Motorcycle Days event uh, later this year in July, July 8th through 10th at uh, Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course uh, in, in uh, Lexington, Ohio. And uh, anybody who hasn't been to that event, I encourage you to go to that as well. Um, it is uh, otherworldly. It really is a great event. There's every discipline of vintage racing that you can think of. Uh, and also it's the world's largest motorcycle swap meet. We have every brand. There. And games and events. Yeah, games, field events. And yes. it, to me, it seems like it's inclusive of all types of bikes. I mean, yeah. it's dirt. It how, how often do you have an event where it's street and dirt? It really is unique in that sense that you have you have racing and recreational riding, street and dirt. Every It really is a motorcycle festival, and it's not really just a vintage event. It's a motorcycling event, and mm-hmm. uh, it really is. Uh, I just enjoy it every year. It's a lot of work for our staff and uh, to put it on, but it is uh, our largest fundraiser for the Motorcycle Hall of Fame, and uh, that helps make what we do uh, at the Hall of Fame uh, possible. So it's a, it's a great event. It's a lot of fun, and it raises some money for the Hall of Fame as well. I'm looking forward to it for that reason because of, of its inclusivity yeah. of everything. Because yeah. I ride dirt, I ride street, I've had Harleys. I love all bikes, so yeah. some of our listeners will debate because we make fun of the Harley guys sometimes. But I always say, I don't hate the bike, it's just the riders that annoy me. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I, I can't wait to, wait to see that. So, you also are giving away an award to a friend of our, the garage here. Yes, um, this year uh, the AMA Board of Directors uh, uh, bestowed upon Craig Vetter uh, our highest award that the AMA gives out, the Dud Perkins Lifetime Achievement Award. And uh, Craig, as I, I'm sure your listeners are aware, uh, has had a rough year. Uh, Ten months ago was uh, was struck by a deer, not the other way around, Craig yes. likes to say. Um, and uh, had an opportunity to spend time with he and his wife Carol last night uh, at the, the quail dinner. Uh, it's the first time Craig's been out. Uh, it really in public and uh, um, he, he uh, struggled but I'll tell you uh, wild horses wouldn't keep him away from this event uh, so close to his home and uh, I'm really pleased to be here to be able to present the Doug Perkins award to him uh, later this afternoon and uh, it just uh, a real uh, deserving guy uh, for what he's done for the AMA, what he's done for motorcycling in general over his lifetime. And what he's continuing to do. Absolutely. And that's what we want people to yeah. know. I mean, it's not just a guy who did something once. Right. It's what he's still doing. Yeah. And you can tell he's kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of crazy. He's always done crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, but there's genius involved, and it's taking not just the sport forward, yeah. but technology evolving. Absolutely, yeah. One of the craziest things I think I've ever seen, uh, and I think, I'm not sure whether this exists, it has to be on the internet somewhere. But oh, the wing? Yeah, the wing. <laughs> the wing. The I knew you were going there. It, it, yes. You know, where Craig is being towed behind a car, standing on this wing, trying to fly. Standing yes. And it's it's like this grainy black and white, you know, eight millimeter film or something that's like uh, flashing kind of a thing. And it is the craziest thing. I was talking to him about it last night, and he and Carol was just shaking her head, and 
it just it was it really is uh, that's crack he's just oh he's got a, a prototype in the garage right now he's, he's ready to take it out <laughs> he's ready to <laughs> another <go>. one <laughs> it's just it, it, he he just i mean i think that's how that's how innovations come about as you have somebody who's a little bit crazy and they come up with something that ends up being not such a crazy idea after all now the wing i think was a crazy <laughs> idea exactly. but, but the fairings that he developed uh, you know certainly were uh, were groundbreaking and as you said Craig continues to give back. I mean, he he, he was he was hit riding a, a bike that he had built to be a streamliner, you know, to, to try to improve uh, fuel mileage, and he continued to 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 uh, um, advocate for increased fuel mileage and having uh, um, competitions to to see who can get the best fuel mileage, and and uh, you know he continues to be involved with the motorcycle hall of fame uh, until his accident. He had chaired a. Um, one of the discipline committees, the ambassadors and industry uh, committee, to to uh, screen and select um, uh, Hall of Fame uh, uh, nominees uh, in the category of ambassadors and industry, and and my hope is that uh, he'll be able to come back to that role uh, once he's able to to, to regain his uh, his memory of the past. I think right. that's one of the things that frustrated him uh, is that he has a hard time recalling names and and things, and I think. You know what he told me. His doctor said was that uh, it's it's all there. The information's there. You're just having a hard time accessing it. And once you're able to access it again, you'll, you'll be fine. So uh, I'm really optimistic that you know Craig's a fighter, and uh, I really think that uh, he'll he'll at, at, over time, maybe ho- hopefully in the next year or so, it'll start to click for him. And uh, He's really, uh, he's pushing himself for sure. And he's working with people like Electric Terry and Alan Smith, mm-hmm. who I think can help him get back in. It's not like it's just him in his secret workshop working alone. Right. He's got people he's working with and helping them. Yeah. I'm sure he'll be back. So I wanted to just close out with, you know, why should somebody join the AMA? I mean, a lot of people don't realize. Mm-hmm. You can join the AMA for forty nine dollars. Forty nine bucks. Forty nine dollars, and we've tried to um, increase the, the the number and value of member benefits over the last couple of years. Probably the most significant tangible be- benefit we have. I always say our marquee benefit, honestly, is our advocacy work. I agree. Um, we yeah. really need the help of all motorcyclists to continue to do that work. But we've tried to provide an incentive for you to come along and help us with that work by providing these tangible benefits, and probably the most. Uh, the, the, the the best value, the best tangible benefit we really have is a roadside assistance program. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's it's surprising to me the people that aren't aware of roadside assistance program. We have the best roadside assistance program available for the money right now. It covers every vehicle in your household. It's not only your motorcycle, but all of your vehicles. So you have a kid away at college who has the, the, uh, a car that's registered at your household, he's covered. Um, it covers trailers. It covers motorhomes. Uh, and it's all for the $49 that's all membership price. Wow. And it's, all, all we ask is that uh, you sign up for automatic renewal so we don't have to spend the money that we're spending on roadside assistance on direct mail to get you to renew. That's, that's basically how we're providing the, the, uh, the benefit is... 
taking the money we used to spend sending you a renewal reminder or several as the case typically is uh, we're spending that uh, with the, the the benefit provider so um, you know as long as you have a current credit card on file you can have uh, roadside assistance for the basic $49 membership fee and you get a magazine also and you get a magazine a subscription to the magazine which you know we've, we've changed the focus of the magazine over the last several years to focus on the people of motorcycling nice. you know we, we occupy a niche that other magazines can occupy everybody wants to do you know gear tests or product demos whatever um but we focus on the stories of motorcyclists. And, you know, we talked before about, um, you know, motorcycling is the great leveler and, and motorcycling mm-hmm. is what we all have in common. And so there are, you know, hundreds of thousands of stories. Uh, and we're trying to tell them uh, as many as we can uh, in the pages of our magazine. We talk about motorcyclists and the adventures of motorcyclists and things that we do and we enjoy to do. Um, and, and we focus sometimes on, on some product just to kind of give people tips as to, you know, what we have a member-tested uh, section in our magazine that we'd like to let people know we've tried things out and whether they work well or not. But our focus is, is, is less on product and more on the people of motorcycling because that's who the AMA is, you know. We are American motorcyclists. So let me ask you a final question. How close are we to getting lane splitting the rest of the country? Oh, I'll tell you, we are closer than we've ever been, I think. Um, The push that we've had over the last couple of years, um, I think, has been really significant. And the thing about uh, getting legislation passed is you rarely are successful in your first year. It typically takes uh, a couple of runs at it. And I think we've gotten close, uh, closer, I think, than we have have been. Uh, I think if you're not from California, you don't quite understand lane splitting. We've got lots of folks back east who think the AMA is crazy for advocating for lane splitting. Oh, it won't work here. You know, I've heard that a lot. Um, But here in California, it's a way of life, and and the other motorists are used to it. And if you weren't able to lane split here in California, uh, you might stop commuting uh, on your motorcycle because it's just not, it's not really a a, a pleasant way to get to work here in in this climate, in Southern California in particular. Um, but uh, I think we're, we're getting closer. You know, the uh, AMA board uh, adopted a, a position statement on uh, lane splitting uh, not too long ago. And that in that statement, we basically say we'll advocate for lane splitting where uh, the local motorcyclists have asked for it and, and want it. You know? and, and, you know, the other thing is if, if lane splitting is legal... And you're not comfortable lane splitting, just don't split lanes. It's not, you know, it's not something that you're obligated to do. Um, and that's that's another thing, too. I think uh, motorcyclists even forget that we're a very diverse group. We have lots of people who uh, have different positions on different issues, motor, motorcycling related or not. And, you know, we just have to recognize that there are lots of different motorcyclists and different people enjoy motorcycling in different ways. And uh, I think, you know, lane splitting is one of those areas that it's one of those issues that can be very divisive. But uh, uh you guys out here in California certainly understand the issue better than most, you know. And the reports that have come out have all been favorable. Absolutely, yeah. Well, even in the motorcycle safety class, they talk about the statistics that lane splitting is safer. It's recommended by the California Highway Patrol that at certain speeds, under certain conditions, you absolutely should lane split. So if somebody is to go in onto your website, pay their $49, get a membership, you might help get... Lane Absolutely, splitting to yeah. their state even faster. Absolutely. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I would encourage anyone who's not an AMA member to go to AmericanMotorcyclist.com and sign up. Uh, sign up today and sign up all of your friends because uh, the more we have helping us uh, protect the future of motorcycling, uh, the better off motorcycling is going to be for all of us. And come on out to the AMA Vintage Days, July 8th through 10th, and I'm not even sure where Pickerington is. Pickerington is, is just outside of Columbus, which is okay. uh, in the almost dead center of Ohio. I like Columbus. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, Lexington, where Mid Ohio the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course is, is just a little bit north of, of uh, Columbus. Nice. Just a little less, about an hour outside of Columbus. So. Good. Well, I appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, presenting Craig with the award. I know it means a lot to me to see him Great. get acknowledgement because yeah. I've been watching him for all these years. Yeah, and he's love an interesting story. guy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you it. very much. Yeah, sure. enjoyed it. All right. We are as many people know, here in the Northern California area, we have a lot of electric motorcycle companies. Uh, Zero, Lightning, um, I think Mission went out of business, Alta, I keep hearing of more. Well, they had these really cool bikes on display. It's a new company called Energica. I got a chance to talk to Carlo and to find out about these bikes. Um, one thing to note, Let's see, how do we say this gently? Um, I don't know if they had done their research. It's a new company, uh, you know, moving into the area. And they had announced on their Facebook page, or I guess a press release, that they were going to be setting a record and they were going to take a group of bikes up the coast from L.A. up to to the Carmel and showing that electric bikes can be used for long distance riding. It's about... 300 miles um, and they said that they're going to break some records by doing so they weren't aware that our own electric Terry has done this ride many times on his zero in fact he's been cross country on his stock zero so funny note two days before the event when they were going to set this record electric Terry and his dog charger which if you haven't seen the pictures of electric Terry he bought this <laughs> poor Terry. He bought this dog thinking it was half Pomeranian, half husky, and it'd be a small dog to sit on the tank. And then Charger grew up to be a big dog. It doesn't stop him. Terry and Charger tour on the freeway, on the highways, with his dog sitting on his tank. It's amazing. So two days before the Quail Lodge, Terry and Charger rode down to Southern California and back up just to get their time in. Doesn't, you know, not saying that the Energica isn't bringing something new to the game. These bikes are beautiful. And probably, I'd say that's a strong point that you really see the Italian styling and it looks like a beautiful Italian sport bike, but it's an electric bike. So that was really cool. So let's hear from Carlo. Uh, so, where are these bikes? Where are you making these bikes? The bikes are produced in Modena. So, it's made in Italy. Uh, they so, are, that's they, why design. they got the styling. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's right. Heart of Motor Valley, coming from a company which deals with motorsport, Formula One, and aerospace technology since 50 years. So, they just convert and they just 
leverage all the knowledge and experience of the last 50 years into a new product that was uh, a motorbike. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we have a, a mood in that area because we are 20 kilometers far from Maserati, Lamborghini, uh, Ducati, Ma uh, Ferrari. So it's the feeling in that in that country. <laughs> but but obviously we are uh, we have a headquarter in US in North Carolina. Uh, because okay. we have operation in the US since uh, more than five years for the group and now we are setting up commercial operation in uh, here in California. What part of California? Southern? San Francisco, yeah. No, San hey, Francisco. This is the hotbed, you know. <laughs> yeah, but we will be. I mean, we, we, we have been around with this model since two years ago. So can you tell me a bit about the models? Oh, uh, yes. This is an Elgica Eagle. This is our first model. We have been around uh, also US since two years ago because in 2014 we did the West Miami tour running around between uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles and New York uh, and having more than 300 test rides to get the feeling from the market, from right. people. Uh, then we completed all the homologation process uh, since last year and in the meantime uh, we developed our second model which is uh, EVA which has been unveiled this morning at the Quay Lodge for the first time in US. So uh, the, technology, the technology platform is, is the same, and uh, this one is just uh, a lower seat, uh, a more comfortable more upright riding, riding position. Uh, so it's, uh, and you can use it as a daily use, you can see the commuting with the bags, they also have the accessory. So yeah, yeah, you really you can feel that normal, normal use. Both bikes, all, all our bikes, are, uh, are they, they have the fast charge technology on board, which means that mm -hmm. we charge in 20 minutes 80% of the bike. Nice. That's the reason because actually we rode from Los Angeles to Carmel yesterday in one day with that bike. Uh, How stopping. many hours? Oh, it was very good. It was a very good day because we started early morning in Santa Monica. We drove up along the 101 because there are a lot of fast charge right. uh, installed over there. The bikes charge at 20 kilowatts, so in 20 minutes is very quick. So coffee time, coffee break. Then at San Luis Obispo, we move up to, to the Highway 1, and then we just drove around uh, along the, 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 the Freeway 1, along the coast, which was just beautiful. We arrive, we arrive at evening, evening time, but we, we stop for... At lunchtime, uh, we stopped also because we are doing some shooting and videos, and you see a couple of them. So, so. it was a, a, a one-day riding, but it was 350 miles. All right, so I'm going to give you an opportunity. The three most common myths that people think about electric motorcycles that you can explain. Yeah. What, what, what are the three biggest problems people think is a yeah. problem? Uh, the first thing, the problem is the bike is real. <laughs> because they generally say, <laughs> do you produce them? Are you building them? Uh, so like, it's a kind of issue about the credibility. Because oh, generally, yeah. it, uh, generally new brands producing bikes. Right. Not, so people are concerned about some failure that can happen. So the first, the, 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 the first thing is the bikes are under production, are on sale, are normal, and uh, homologated and fully are, are normal bikes. The second is that uh, I can ride uh, for, for, uh, for, uh, for a longer distance, which, which means obviously uh, the, 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 right. the idea so far was that I can ride, I can ride only for a short commuting uh, a few, few miles. Uh, we, we, we decided to solve the problem with the fast charge so that uh, you can ride from LA to Carmel in one day and there's no problem. So, but what is the typical range? 
Medium range is about 100 miles. Okay. That can go up to 120 if you go in eco mode or one of our importers in Switzerland, uh, up and down in a mountain, he drove for one, 195 kilometers. So it should be about one, right. 130 miles. Uh, or it can go down to 60 miles if you if you speed up and you go very fast. So, it's, uh, But uh, I, I see... Riding around California, you have uh, the automotive industry fast charge uh, yes. uh, corridors, basically every 50 miles. So uh, we, we used to stop every 50 miles, but not because we, we need it, but just because we had a break. Our rider had a 20 minutes break and then he could, uh, he could have, a, have a rest and then start again. Right. And I can make you the guy with the blue t-shirt is the one who actually who is physically riding the bike all these days. So he can give you his comments personally. And what is the the cost that you're looking to get? The bikes are uh, as a pricing point of thirty-four thousand dollars U.S. dollars. Available already because we are selling. Uh, we are uh, we will unveil uh, in a very short time. In a few weeks' time, we are finishing the works in our new flagship store. They will be open here in San Francisco, so it will be easy to find us and easy to get in touch with our bike. And what a lot of people don't realize about electric bikes is they're virtually maintenance-free. Basically, 70% of our maintenance is a tablet-based, and we update the firmware when there is an updating. Besides that, there is standard chain, wheels, braking, and nothing more. So it's very easy. Well, I wish you luck. I look forward to coming yeah. to see your store. I appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you so very much. Thank nice you. meeting you. And lastly, my favorite interview of the day. And I actually let Jim take the reins on this one. Jim stayed up all night um, really studying and preparing for an interview with Mert Lowell. He's the man. If you, you know, as we say, if you haven't seen on any Sunday, then, you know, you need to go out and see it right now because Mert is one of the featured guys there. This guy is a legend and he continues to do amazing things. And that's what we wanted to talk to him about, what he's been doing since he was racing. Um, and we're very fortunate that this is the only event that he does. So kudos to Jim for doing the prep and doing a great interview and and to Mert we love you you're doing great things and uh, let's let's get right to it all right well I am absolutely beside myself um, because I'm with a lifelong um, hero and legend I'm here with Mert Lawwell uh, who anybody who's ever gotten on a two-wheel vehicle wheel vehicle in their life has had to have watched on any Sunday um, I think we've all watched that a hundred times, and that's where I was first introduced to you, and I can't believe I'm standing here talking to you. So with that said, we're here at the Quail Motorcycle Gathering here in uh, Carmel, California. It's a beautiful day with tons of beautiful bikes everywhere. So I just want to check in, Mert, a little bit. Um, you know, we could talk about your Motorcycle Hall of Fame induction, your Mountain Biking Hall of Fame induction, your 161 AMA uh, finishes your 15 grand national victories, your 15 year career. Um, but really, well, you've, if, you've been studying, haven't you? You got it all figured <laughs> no, out. Well, I, the list, the list goes on and on. But you know, that's you know, that's ancient history. I'm really curious. What have you been up to lately? Well, my most recent endeavor is uh, working with prosthetics. 
Uh -huh. Because I, I've run into a lot of people that were amputees that had come back from the war and whatever and wanted to ride their motorcycle again, but they were afraid to ride because they only had one arm, right. or one hand left, whatever. So the first thing I did was make a, a prosthetic hand mm -hmm. that worked on a bicycle or a motorcycle or a snowmobile, okay. anything like that, anything with a handlebar. So did this just come at you out of the blue, or how did you well, originally no, get involved uh, in this? Chris Dreyer was uh, one of the team members for the Harley-Davidson factory back in the uh, late 60s. And then uh, racing accidents back in uh, Missouri, he lost his whole complete arm. He only had like four inches left. But he still wanted to ride. Mm -hmm. So uh, he was after me to uh, make him a prosthesis because the people that were making them for him at that time, they'd either make one that was too good and when he fell down, they'd drag him down the road. Mm -hmm. Or vice versa, it would come loose when he didn't want it to come loose. Mm -hmm. And so then he's down anyway because now he's one-armed, right? Right. So he said, make me a, a hand. I said, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> so it took me a couple of trials. And the first one I made for him, I sent him out for a test ride. And he came back and he said, that is the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and, right. and the lesson I learned from that was uh, even though you're making a prosthesis, you got to make everything uh, human related. All the energies have to transfer exactly like it would in a real hand or a real arm. So you're talking like the geometry, all the that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's like riding with a bent handlebar. You don't like it if it doesn't work right. right. So you're, you're inventing something basically no one had ever really invented before, doing it from scratch right out the gate. How did that first prototype work out for you? Well, it took me actually uh, almost probably two years to actually make the first hand. I just couldn't really think of it. And then one day another machinist and I were talking and we came up with this uh, ball and socket uh, concept right. and I made that and that's the first one that I sent him out on but I made the ball on top of the socket instead of in the socket well that meant the energies didn't transfer correctly uh, from uh, his body to the handlebar okay. and that's the one he didn't like gotcha. so I made one change on that and that was way back in like 1980 right 1981 and uh the other thing that I did at the time was I contacted some other prosthetic makers, and they said, don't waste your time. First of all, all amputees, or 90% of them, are life's over. They can't do anything. Wow. Of, of those that are left, there's nobody that would be interested in wanting to ride a motorcycle. Good gosh. And I said, baloney. They just don't know they can. Right. Because so, they've been told they can't. They've been told they can't. So that's when I jumped into it, and I, I made the hand, and... and uh, with uh, no changes after that first one change, I've made them now for since 1980. Right. Uh, and, and I know that that first one rode what the same design for eight years without a hiccup, right? Yeah, without a hiccup. Yeah. That's amazing. So I know also you're doing the prosthetics, which is really cool. Um, tell me a little bit about your involvement with Walter Reed. Well, about a third of the hands that I make go to Walter Reed for the victims coming back from the, the war. Mm -hmm. And I'm sad for the reason, but I'm glad I got something for them once they get back. Right. Right. But most of the injuries, actually, in fact, I just attended a, uh, a, wound, a wounded warrior uh, event just a, a week ago. Mm -hmm. And the problem they have is more from concussions and stuff like that. It is actually more damage than, uh, than uh, losing a limb. I see. But uh, at least I'm helping to get these guys back on wheels and getting them riding again. And I've now, got about 400 uh, of these hands out now. No kidding. Which doesn't sound like many, but that's 400 people riding a motorcycle that were not riding them before. And that's 400 people that were told they couldn't do something. They were told they and couldn't it, do and it. And if it wasn't for Mer Lawwell, they would still be. And it's not yeah. just something, it's something that we are deeply passionate about. And to give them back Yeah. that, that key way to that passion. Yeah, that's, that's a cool. great thing. Well, the passion and the freedom, right? Yeah. That motorcycling gives us freedom, and 
And the, the ball in the socket, so you're the only, only one using that because that gives the mobility. Yeah, it's complete freedom of mobility until yeah. you, uh, like a ski binder, once you go too far, then it ejects. Right. And, and that's how you get loose from the object from so it doesn't drag you down the road when you fall. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was fortunate to see one of the new uh, prototype sockets you've got made out of magnesium. And I know you're working with a DKG fabrication or... Yeah, that's, that's the machine shop where uh, the CNC machinery is. And I run the CNC uh, machine myself, so I, I do the machining anyway. Right, just back to the old Ascot Park days. You're turning the wrenches. I'm and... still turning wrenches, still grinding, <laughs> still still doing old school stuff. Yeah. But the thing that's got me going now is a, a new prosthetic arm that I'm working on. Okay. And the reason is... is uh, uh, Chris tried to get me uh, started on that because he was still wanted to trail ride after he lost his arm. Mm. So his elbow kept collapsing on him. So what he would do is he'd put a bolt into the arm so that it wouldn't work, so it was rigid. Mm-hmm. And then he'd go ride. Well, when the day was over, his whole shoulder's all black and blue from all the impacts because there's no cushion. You know, it just goes in direct. You don't realize what a suspension system you are naturally that you mm-hmm. have. So I built a, an arm now that has a, a shock absorber on it. And well, you do know a few things about suspensions and shock absorbers, which is been, a whole other story. Yeah, but. Yeah. but this one's unique because it's electronically controlled. Uh, it's got an accelerometer that mounts on the vehicle, and when you slow down, the accelerometer uh, sends a signal to the shock, and, and the shock changes viscosity, becomes stiff with this new real logic fluid, which is uh, it's like brake fluid, but it's got metal particles in the in the fluid. Okay. And when it's excited electrically, the little particles stand on end. Well, they then they no longer want to go through the little orifice, right. and, and that's how it changes viscosity. Oh my goodness. So are we at the point now where prosthetics can outperform? Uh, well, we're not there yet, but I tell you, we're, we're getting pretty close. We're working on it. Wow. That is amazing. And, um, you know, I know so you also still have the motor. Are you still working on the, the Burt Lawwell designs, the concept bikes, the, the Harleys? The Well, I made a, a limited number of 20 of collector item uh, Lawwell street trackers. And they're all sold. In fact, the one that's on display here at the show it, it actually belongs to Danny Sullivan, the race car driver. No kidding. And, uh, and they look cool. <laughs> I mean, really cool. So I, I got to ask you, your career is just phenomenal. We could talk about things all day. Do you ever miss like the old days, hopping in the van, driving across country, race after that race. That I don't miss, but what I do miss <laughs> is when I see a racetrack that's got perfect dirt on it, uh-huh. and I just love to get out there and throw it sideways again. I is still, that right? I still have the desire for that. Yeah, I bet you sneak out there every now and then as well. <laughs> well, I threaten to ride a lot more than I get done. Right. For I sure. need to ride, but I'm busy doing my stuff all the time. Right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. The prosthetic stuff, we can't wait to see what direction that goes in. Um, it sounds like you're just continuing to raise the bar like you always have. And uh, thanks for taking the time and letting us check out your stuff. Well, I'm delighted to be a part of it, and thanks for checking on it. All and right. I wanted to thank you for coming to the Quail, because I know you come here every year, and you don't do other events, yeah. do you? No, I don't do other events. Exactly. This is the only event I do. I do it, I've done it eight years now. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we appreciate you coming out here. We feel like we're, we're special. Well, special. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're very special. You are. You are yeah. for sure. Thank you very much. I'm I appreciate happy it. to be a part of it. Thanks, Murray. Oh, thank you. Cool. Thank you. Hey, right. Thank you, Murray. I can't tell you what a, what a pleasure it is. I know you're probably cool. like, why do people get all worked up? But... Oh, no, it's, it's cool stuff. It's, I, like, I swear to God, I tell Liza, I'm like, I'm watching on any Sunday tonight. <laughs> you know, just this yeah. background, you know? And it's like, and we love following the career like uh, we know uh, Craig Vetter. And a lot of oh, people yeah. don't know. Yeah what he's doing yeah. with his aerodynamics, you know, and people don't know what you've done, too. I know, they just need exposure, you know, and yeah. that's why I come here. Look at these people. I, 
Well, I understand the entry list was a hundred more than last year on the entries. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah. But it is cool. You know, like I was, like you guys don't stop. You're still inventing. You're still wrenching. You're still machining. Oh, yeah. It's always and tomorrow. Like she's better. You know, you look at the stuff you had been doing up until recently. Yeah. And it's like really cool stuff. Well, I appreciate that you guys are taking the time to single that out. You know, and let people know about it. Oh yeah. Yes. Well, it's important. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny, like I mentioned, I have a friend of mine who lost his leg, and he was an avid motorcyclist. And, um, you know, he wants to get back into it, but kind of, I don't know, I don't know if I want to, and that kind of a thing. Uh-huh. And uh, I know you said the military has done a lot of work with the leg prosthetics. Yeah. But, you, you know, you take somebody like that was vibrant and alive, or whatever the reason is, and all of a sudden you give them this freedom. And that's what motorcycling to me is freedom. So, it's cool. Well, if somebody takes your motorcycle away from you, you're getting pretty cranky, don't you? Real fast, yeah. Or even rains. <laughs> I know. Talk all to right. me in February. I'll let you get back to your fans. Ladies don't forget to get back. Oh, I'm going to have to. Yeah, yes. Yes. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for the Quailcast 2016. Again, such an amazing time. You definitely, if you are looking for a great show to come to, this is the one. Carmel 2017, I'll be there. A big uh, thanks to Mike for doing all the video and Mary Ann for doing all the photos and you can see those on our YouTube page and our Facebook page and uh, yeah give it a look and especially to Jim uh, for putting in the time so that's it I'm out of here cool cool